Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 162. I'm Wolfgang Bashong. This past July, I had the pleasure of attending the 22nd South African National Association of Child and Youth Care Conference held in conjunction with the 4th CYC Net World Conference, which took place in Durban, South Africa. While I was there, I recorded several presentations. Sadly, I had some significant technical issues and I'm not able to share most of what I recorded. However, over the next two episodes of CYC Podcast, I will be able to share some of what I recorded. And today, I'm going to start with a presentation from Tummy, who works out of an organization in Peter Meritsburg, South Africa, called Life Changer. The title of the presentation is How Can I Be Homeless When I Just Left One? An observation from working on the streets of Peter Meritsburg with young people. At several points during his presentation, Tommy showed videos, including one of his co-presenter who couldn't actually be in the room in person because of scheduling conflicts. He was actually in the room next door. Unfortunately, I was not able to capture the sound from these videos, so they have been edited out from the presentation. So there are a couple points during the, the session when there's a bit of an awkward jump and, and Tummy talks about these videos, which we can't hear, unfortunately. However, there is lots and lots of great stuff that he spoke about, and I trust you will find the presentation as informative as I did. Please enjoy. Uh, please welcome on stage, Mr. Tamsangla. Thank you so much. Hi, how's everybody doing? Well, I was super awkward and super weird for me. Um, <laughs> I didn't write that bio, I don't know who did. Um, but anyway, yes, I come from an organization called Life Changes. Um, we are a Maritzburg based organization, and hopefully, I have something worth listening to today for you guys to hear. So, just a quick preview of who this guy is. Tamsana, uh, but let's use Tummy. I think Tummy is much easier to pronounce then Tamsang uh, for, for all of us. So you say it like Tummy, as in your Tummy, that's how you say it, but that's how you spell it. Uh, I was born and bred PMB, I'm 30 years of age, yes, I know, I am 30 years of age. Um, raised by both my parents, which is a point I like to, to, to raise now, just to, I'll make, I'll, I'll talk more about it later but went to a co-ed school, which means I went to a school where both girls and guys go. Um, I went to varsity, uh, entered social justice space in about 2013, 2014, which is about, what, five, six years ago. Um, that's, a, that's a little bit of a preview on me. And then this chap that's coming up next is a friend of mine, Rob, my colleague. He's the guy we work with. Uh, he's actually in the next room uh, hosting another uh, talk there, so we can't be in the same room at the same time. We tried to break down the walls, they didn't allow us. <laughs> yeah, PMB, I'm so sorry. It's Peter Marysburg, it's, it's, it's a town about 45 minutes from here. Yeah, so it's in KZN, but just on the outskirts. Good afternoon, uh, my name is Rob Mignutin, and I'm sorry I can't be with you uh, in this workshop. Um, and you see from your program, I'm, I'm actually double booked. Um, uh, adjacent um, rooms are doing a, a workshop on adoption, so I couldn't join my uh, colleague Tommy to be with you. I just wanted to introduce myself and uh, our involvement and around Life Changer as an 
organisation. So I came to South Africa in 2003 as a social worker with my wife to set up an orphan care uh, project to really around the pandemic. And for many years, um, convinced myself that we were a HIV and AIDS project, where actually what we were was a kinship um, support program. We worked exclusively in the community, keeping children in their homes, and many of those homes, most of those homes were for families that had been affected by um, HIV and AIDS. And I was involved in that project for 15 years, and uh, found myself being really drawn back to my first love about working with individuals and families um, and uh, handed my notice in and after 15 years left as technical director to really embark on a journey of discovery again around looking at the aftermath of the HIV pandemic. When we first started there were no ARV medications, um, schools weren't talking about it, our government didn't even recognise it um, and so um, we provided lots of services and prevention and intervention programs, behavior change programs, and really along the way we missed a generation of young people who have just been lost. Um, and so when I left my organization in 2017, I did some research, did a feasibility study, just to really look at what the next area of work that I felt that um, I needed to be involved in. And we started to uh, recognize the, the aftermath of young people who've come through the care system, whether that's formal or informal, based through the communities, and just a whole generation of young people who are now migrating onto the streets and making a living from or on the streets and many of them living, um, sleeping on the streets. And as I started to work with these young people, as I had been doing for a couple of years, but much more intensely at the beginning of 2018, um, I started to realise that we couldn't just work with young people on the streets. Um, trust is the currency for young people on the streets and so that takes a long time. But there was an influx of people just coming onto the streets year by year and, and really we started looking at, at the formal residential sector. And so I started to work with some of the child and youth care centres. I'd already been working with many of these organisations through, through the 15 years as a social worker working here. And just started to look at some of the programmes, some of the things that were happening, and uh, really came to understand that there was a great need to offer support to the management and to the uh, people working in these children's homes and these child and youth care centres, just to look at how we could help equip the young people to, to be robust and strong um, especially those who have had no contact with um, family. And then to take one step further back again and look at the whole area of adoption and foster care and both the informal one with our, within our communities which are saturated but then also the formal sector and looking through the church. And so life changer kind of evolved. Um, I'd been in contact with Tommy probably in the middle of 2017 around a case that he was involved with and so we started to communicate with each other and in the, in the first couple of three months of 2018 we made contact and Tommy joined the team and we decided on the 1st of April 2018 to start uh, Life Changer um, with no resources but a lot of passion and we hit the streets and the CYCs and just started to do the work that we, that we felt that we needed to be um, involved with. So um, I know Tommy will tell you the rest of the journey, he's an amazing young man with a huge amount of history and a huge amount of passion as well. So mm -hmm. I hope you enjoy this time with us and um, if any of you want to come and touch base with me after the session, um, I'm the dude with the big bit. Yeah. All right, cheers, thanks. Yeah guys, so that's, that's Rob, and I'm not an amazing young man. Um, <laughs> so today's topic is, how can I be homeless when I just left one? Um, with an observation, working on the streets, PMB, uh, lived in intensive and residential care. So, um, just to, to go back to the case that Rob spoke about there at the end, the, the case that brought us together. It was, it was a young lady, 
she was about 23 years of age. Um, she was pregnant. She was exactly eight months and three weeks pregnant when I met her. Um, so she was a week due from giving birth and she'd been living on the streets. And now, when I say living on the streets, I mean, I mean situations that nobody in this room can live in, basically. Um, and I saw her the one week, uh, I came back the next day, I came back the next day. On the third day, I tried to find her and I couldn't. I'd been speaking with Robert this time, and Rob had uh, given me a whole lot of information. I was like, oh my gosh, information overload. Um, but the, the gist of what happened was she gave birth outside a petrol station um, on the street, and some good Samaritan felt sorry for her and picked her up and took her to the hospital. Now, the first question I asked myself was, so now, it's not just one person who's homeless, but it's two people at this stage. Um, outside of the boyfriend who was there, but um, it's the lady and her child. Um, only to find out at the later stage that she had two children before that one. But I'm gonna get back to that story, it gets interesting. Um, so before we, we look at tackling the, 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 the question itself, I wanna point out a couple of things that I hope to achieve with this talk. Um, I hope to, to have um, I hope to have shed light on the on the street on the street dependent community. So it is a community, guys. Now, when you think of the aspects that make up a community, it's there's an income, um, there's a reason to wake up in the morning, there's people that it consists of, and this community that we're discussing today has all those elements. They just like us. They literally wake up in the morning. They have stuff to do in the morning. They have money that they make. It, it's, it's a vibrant, alive, living community. Um, provide reasons as to how and why this community exists. So in order to, to solve a problem, I'd like to think we have to go to the roots of the problem, or go to the roots of the issue, to find out the reasons behind why this community exists, and why this community needs to be helped or assisted in different ways, shapes, or forms. Um, looking at possible avenues of tackling the issues surrounding this community, and the reason why we're even looking at this community in the first place is because their rare existence is threatening our societal existence. So the way we are used to functioning is being threatened by us ignoring this community that is growing day by day, to be honest. Uh, and I'd like to receive inputs on existing perceptions about this community. We all know this community, guys, trust me. Every single one of us has encountered this community. We call them homeless, we call them street kids, we call them uh, locally, Amapara. Um, we, there's, there's tons of names for these guys, and we all know them. Um, I want to highlight the gross magnitude uh, of the need for a solution in this community. This, there is, when I started off this work, I, maybe there was about, I knew, this is about five, six years ago, in Marysburg. Now, if you know Peter Marysburg, it's not a big town. It's, 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 a, it's the size of London if you look at this size-wise, but there's a lot of area that isn't occupied. It's mostly farming area and it's homesteads and stuff like that. But to have a population of over a thousand just living on the streets, this is six years ago, was, was quite a thing. And those are just guys that I knew, not all the guys that lived on the street, just guys that I had met and I knew. Um, another thing I want us to look at is to have a sense of direction in terms of where are we heading if this issue persists? If we continue ignoring these guys, if we continue building higher fences and higher walls 
and installing more security, security features in our companies or our homes, where are we heading? Because this community is growing, guys. It's, it's not a dying community. It's a growing community. And I want us to establish a process of assistance. Now, <clears throat> what does that mean? You see, with, with various fields, um, whether it be the field of, let's look at abuse, for example. Whether it's child abuse, whether it's sexual abuse, whatever forms of abuse that exist, there's channels of, there's points of context that we have. You know that if, if I've been raped, for example, you know that I need to get a rape kit, I need to go to a police station, and there's steps that are taken that you know that there's centers you can go to, there's, there's organizations or forms of industry that are, that are created to cater for that particular crisis. Now, when we look at this particular crisis, if I were just to quickly ask around the room, if anybody could tell me of an organization that you'd go to if you pulled up to an intersection, rolled, up your, rolled down your window, saw a guy that's living on the street clearly, and then he asked for your help, which organization would you point into? Endeavor. Ikea Center Endeavor, okay. Who knows the Ikea Center? Look, you, you can tell me about an organization in, you can tell me about the organization in your city or, or wherever it is, yes? Yeah. Youth for Christ, yes. Okay. Simon Community. Simon Community. Northern Ireland, okay. Okay. So the one thing I will tell you about all these institutions and the one thing they all have in common is this. They are not made public or made known enough. Mm. Not a lot of people and not enough people know about them. And even the people that do know about them don't really know what they do. You see, of all the organizations we've, we've mentioned, I know two of them. That's probably because I'm, <laughs> they're in this province as well. I know about Youth for Christ and I know about uh, ICARE. Youth for Christ is an organization that we work with as well. There's, there's a lot of contact points that we reach. And the biggest issue that they've struggled with is when you have a donor, for example, who's pumping X amount of money into your institution, the donor starts dictating how you should solve your problem. And now the donor is not on the ground and doesn't know exactly what issues you're facing with these guys. This is a very complex community. It's not, you can't use a blanket approach for these guys. I mean, the best analogy uh, myself and Rob have ever thought about and spoken about is for your child to raise them from point A to them, to them getting a higher education qualification, how much money do you think you'd invest? How much money did it cost you to take your child to school, the doctor's appointments, the lunches, the, 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 how much did it cost you? You can't quantify that. And even at the end of that, you can't guarantee that your child will be an absolute mm. thrilling success. <laughs> and that's the situation we face with these guys. Because when you come to funders, funders tell you, give me the output. How will I know that if I put in X, I'll get Y? Mm. And you can't, you can't promise the Y. Because the, the Y is an unknown variable. Mm. What we can promise though is that there's a need for X mm. and there's a need for, for them to get to that why, whatever that why is, even if they end up being a school teacher, 
even if they end up being a guy that cleans the streets. But from being on the streets to cleaning the streets, that's a big jump for me. Um, last point is, well, I guess I've sort of linked it to, is creating awareness on the issue and the avenues of assistance. I think this is very important. If, we, if I say, give me a child line number, people know the child line number off by head. Give me an emergency number, people know the emergency number off by head. But the second you encounter one of these guys, and trust me, in Marysburg, it's almost at every intersection. And that's just during the day. If, I, if, if there's a kid there, he's in trouble, you gotta call, who do you call? Not, not a lot of people know about iCare or Youth for Christ. And that's just two institutions in an entire province. So the awareness part for me is very important. Let me move on. So that is that was a bit of a weird jump, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about these guys all of a sudden, boom, a video on the AIDS pandemic. Um, so I got this video off this uh, MSF organization site. Um, so the reason why I think it's very important to note uh, about the pandemic is that the pandemic was like the initial wave that the, 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 the country suffered from. But now after the wave, just like a tsunami, there's a second wave. And this is what we're suffering from now. Most of these guys that we're working with on the streets are either infected or affected by AIDS. So they no longer have parents or they no longer have grandparents because the pandemic happened. But now nobody was there to pick up the pieces after the way the initial wave had hit. So some guys got lucky and some guys made it into orphanages, some guys made it into child and youth care centers and, 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 and various other organizations. But even then, immediately, due to legislation in this country, you reach a certain age, funding stops for you, you've now been in a situation where you've been institutionalized for 12 years. You've, you've, it's like being in boarding school for 12 years, but then you can't go home at the end of 12 years because you don't have a home. So where do you end up? The streets. So this, in essence, we, we, we're looking at the aftermath. This is one of the reasons, we're gonna look at, at a couple of others, but this is one of the reasons. We're looking at an, an aftermath, the aftermath of the HIV pandemic. Um, 18 years ago, you couldn't get treatment. Now treatment's there, but the treatment only treats the, 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 the virus. It doesn't treat the effects of the virus, the social effects of the virus, the economic effects of the virus. That's, the treatment doesn't solve those things. And those are the things that we're going to look uh, into uh, right now. So another random video. Um, but so in context to what we were speaking about now, um, with the child and youth care centers and the orphanages picking up all these guys, what happened was it picked up even, there are guys that need to be there, but there are guys that have families. But the problem is it's not the immediate mom or the immediate dad, but it's aunts and it's uncles. So now. What we did was, instead of trying to rehabilitate the relationship with the family and sort of supporting the family in the context that they were in, we, we chose to take the, the kids out of that context and put them in orphanages and homes, which worked for a period of time. But when the kid is grown, they no longer have a place where they can go. They, and they try to go back home. I promise you guys, I've met about 200 if not 300 kids who have tried to go back home but the disconnect between them and that family is so wide that they leave home immediately. It's whether you'll find that an uncle was there and the uncle had a wife and then the uncle passes away and the wife is there and the wife is like, I don't know you, get out of my house. 
I had this one kid this one time um, who got kicked out. His grandmother loved him, but his mother not so much, which is weird. But that was his case. He got back home. When he got home, the mother's the grandmother passed away, and then the mother's boyfriend moved in. And when the mother's boyfriend moved in, he choked this kid to half an inch of his life, trying to make sure, not because he wanted to kill him, but because he wanted him to never come back into this house. Now, when you encounter someone like that on a Monday morning, what do you do? Where do you take them? And they'll tell you that I was halfway through my qualification or I was trying to study this or I was doing that. Now, we look at them in a different way because of the drugs that they smoke. And yes, they smoke drugs. Don't get it, don't get it wrong. Please hear me on this. They, they are drug addicted. They are all these things. But the truth about them is if any one of us had to spend a week or a month in the streets, trust me, you'll smoke drugs as well. It's, it's, it's a coping mechanism. And the funny thing, the funny thing about it is we have CEOs in this country, we have CEOs over the world that make sure that before they go to bed they hit about two or three uh, glasses of very expensive whiskey. And why do they do that? Because they need to cope for the next day. They need to sleep. Just because they're in Egyptian cotton seats, uh, sheets, I mean, and these guys are sleeping on the streets, that's the only di difference between the two of them. But the reason why they take the drug is the same. We all use different things to cope sometimes with life when life gets a bit too hard. So we must, we must try and change our perceptions at all times in the way we view them. They don't smoke drugs because they're druggies. They smoke drugs because they have to cope with the situation that they find themselves in. So let's look at another reason uh, that contributes to, to this growing community. Uh, so it's economic uh, homelessness. Now, when you look at economic homelessness, it's, it's guys that have left the homesteads. This, this is more of a social aspect as to why it happened or how it happened. Um, it's guys that used to live in the farmsteads or, or the rural homesteads and now because of migration and because of the standard of living and because of the lifestyle that this country has, we, they no longer can survive in the homesteads. So this urbanization happens. They start moving towards towns, they start heading towards towns to try find jobs and try find work. And not everybody finds job and not everybody finds work. And the scary thing about it is from rural to sort of semi-urban, semi-rural, which is what we call the locations. Um, I think it's the projects in America. Yeah. In, in, yeah. In, yeah, in, in those types of communities, guys come into the city and they end up making more money living on the streets than they would back home. Mm. And then it poses a bit of a challenge for them because if I'm making this much living on the streets and back home, I, do, I go to bed without eating, where do I then stay? Because these guys, on average, I'll, I'll give you just a quick figure. I was having this chat with them last night, funnily enough. Um, we, were, we were doing the numbers. They smoke about, there's this popular drug in South Africa right now, it's called Wunga. Now they smoke about, on average in a day, about 300 rand, or to 400 rand worth of, of that substance. So I was like, let's half it. Let's say you smoke 200 rand a day. And then in 10 days, you would have smoked 2,000 rand. That means in a month you would have spent 6,000 rand. Now, there's people that have come to this conference that don't earn that much in a month. And that's the truth. And this is just the amount of money that they smoke. Not eat, not drink, just smoke. So, when you're making 6,000 rand a month of smoking, living on the streets, going back home to struggle and, 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 and try and make ends meet with your grandmother doesn't seem as attractive. But the question then becomes, how do they make this 400 rand or 200 rand a month? Well, 
we'll get there hopefully but this is one of the reasons in economic so then the situational homelessness as well the case that we were referring to uh, earlier with the boy that had been strangled um, by his mother's boyfriend those guys uh, find they themselves onto the streets uh, due to it's just about uh, like violence abuse being kicked out of home because the parents has passed away um, we live we live in a country where there's like wave after wave after wave of different reasons hitting the streets, so to speak. So we spoke about the pandemic earlier, and now, as we all aware, this country went through a stage whereby apartheid was pretty rife, and then 94 came, and then that stopped. But the problem is the effects of apartheid weren't remedied, which meant the fathers, for example, that had been sent off to the farms and sent off to the mines, and either died there or started different families there, left two families fatherless when they passed away, not just one. Now, when the mother's living in that community and there's no male figure there, and then the male figures in and around the community, they start taking advantage of her. Next thing you've got a mother who's got four kids by two different dads, and then she passes away. What happens to those children? The community's not gonna take care of them because the community cannot afford to take care of them because they're going through the same thing. So. We, we find ourselves with, with a whole lot of different situations um, that, that bring guys onto the street. These are all stories that have happened. These are not stories that I've made up. These, having sat down with these guys, they've told me their life story, and you, you end up putting together the chain of how these guys end up on the street. Um, and then there's chronic home, homelessness. So some guys have mental issues. Uh, different mental issues, different disabilities. And when you factor the first point, the, the previous point that we just spoke about of having a mom uh, date another man and then the man doesn't want you in the household because you're a burden, because of your mental illness, because of your disability, and the mother because is dependent on this guy for, fi for financial support, you have to get kicked out. Now when you get kicked out, that's how you end up on the street and it makes it twice as hard because you have a disability. In some cases, it is a case of the disabled guys make more money on the street than they do at home because people feel more sympathy for them, feel more empathy for them, and they give them more money and they give them more funds. Um, and then there's near homelessness. Now, this one is a, I thought about it a lot, prayed about it a lot, uh, because it's a very sensitive one because it has a lot to do with the work that we are currently doing in our different spaces. Now there's a lot of child and youth care centers and there's a lot of orphanages and there's a lot of institutions that do, are doing a great job, but there's a cliff at the end of the job. When we get to that place of, I've, I've carried you through to matric, what's now? And it's very hard for the social worker or the, or, or the child care worker to continue working with that child from that point on because you subconsciously know that this is the end of the road. But you can't keep being in this child's life because it's too painful for you to keep trying to continue with this child because there's nothing you can do. And I'm gonna say something, I might be a bit controversial now, but forgive me if I am. I don't think childcare workers and social workers get paid enough in this country. Hmm. I really don't. You see, it's the hardest thing to focus on the mandates that you've been given in your workspace to do if in the pre if if in your own life 
you have issues that you're struggling with, and they're mostly financial. You can't even apply yourself in certain spaces because you are worried about what's going on back home. And I think that's something you really need to consider when working in this space as well. So this is uh, yeah, near homelessness. Um, so this, this gives us a bit of an insight on, on what's happening on the streets. There's, there's circles within the streets. So Marinsburg is a nice little city. It's a nice little town. It's like, so there's rings to it. Um, in the outskirts, the community there, we're talking specifically this community that we're dealing with, that community is a much safer community. You'll find them begging at intersections, you'll find them asking for money and all those things. The closer you move into the center of the, the, the city, the more dangerous the community gets. So the guys in the middle are the guys that are pushing drugs, are the guys that are selling uh, stuff, are the guys that are pushing prostitution. Those are the guys in the epicenter of, of the, the, the city. But, but these guys on the outskirts cannot survive in the, in the middle. But at the same time, the guys in the middle do not do the same type of work that the guys on the outskirts do. It's, it's an entire community with different job, job descriptions, guys. It's, it's a big deal, this thing that we're dealing with here. All right, so what are the ramifications of all these uh, levels of homelessness? So this is how there's theft, there's closing down of stores, there's multiple stores that have been closed down within Maritzburg because of these guys sleeping on the streets, because of these guys urinating on the streets, because of these guys defecating. Everything that you can think of, they do it on the street. So now, people don't want to come to those stores. Store owners no longer want to open stores in that space because the cities are dirty, the cities are filthy, and the cities, the city streets specifically are not safe. So people don't want to come to their stores. So shop owners find themselves closing down stores. There's a spa in Marisburg that has been around for as long as I can remember. But it's closed down today because of this, commu of this community that's emerging. Now this, this poses a very interesting challenge to the municipality because it says, there's this guy who's no longer willing to pay rent in that space and they're losing out on millions because that person is no longer there. Now different municipalities act in different ways, but I'm not happy with the way my municipality has reacted. This one time they tried to put him in the bus and dump them in the middle of nowhere. Guess what, those guys made their way back. They're resilient guys, they are so resilient. Anybody who can survive eight years in the street, sleeping there every single day, you, you can't get rid of that person easily. Um, drugs are rampant, drugs are very rampant. I mean, just look at the figures we were, make, we were talking about now. If one guy is smoking 6,000 rand a month, Imagine a hundred guys. What is that? Six hundred thousand, if my math is correct. Thereabouts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something like that. Six hundred thousand. So that tells me that somebody's making six hundred thousand rand a month. Who is that person? And that's the person we 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 actually at war with. That's the person who's going to give us kickback when we make inroads in this community. And it's not a hundred guys that are on the street and are smoking. So imagine how much money this person is making. But this is not a drug talk, so um, <laughs> mob justice killings. The number of guys I've buried in the five, past five years scares me. And it's, mob, it's mostly because of mob justice. So these guys, they become thieves. They steal laptops, they steal cell phones, they steal anything that they can see and sell in order to make money so they can smoke. 
it's it's a life it's the lifestyle that they ch they've chosen not all of them steal i'm not, I, I i will say that but i cannot say that they do not steal they are they are thieves they steal but then that forces the community that it's been stolen from to react and the number of guys that have been killed because of theft is alarming but it's it's these are kids these are these are guys who are 16 17 these are guys who when you look at you like you still have a future but you just don't see it. Um, unplanned pregnancies. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of girls who get pregnant, and it's the funniest thing when you think about it. They get pregnant, and when you ask them where your first kid is, like, no, my kid is back home. And I'm like, where's your kid? Back home. Why aren't you home? No, me and my grand had a fallout, whatever the situation is, but I can send my kids there, but I can't stay there. It's, it's, guys, these situations are so complex. Because when you try to do a home visit and you try to see the grandmother, the grandmother tells you that I do not want to see that person in my house. So you see that the rehabilitation of that relationship isn't a two-day thing. Isn't a one weekend, hey, yeah, they're back there at rehab, it's fine now. That's, that's not what it is. There's so much hurt <coughs> surrounding this topic that nobody wants to come near it. Um, increase in rape cases. There's girls that literally get raped every day and it's become a part of their life. She gets raped so she can sleep in a certain place. She gets raped so she has certain people that can take care of her so she, not, she doesn't get raped by other people. It's, it's, it's the most atrocious thing. The one girl decided to come, her name is Nomasiva, decided to start living on the streets. She's a pathological liar, by the way. She's lied to me so much. But it's taken us two years to get to a place where she tells me the truth. And when she tells me the truth, I'm like, but you told me the story two years ago. She's like, yeah, look, I didn't know you yet. So don't believe anything I said two years ago, but you can, you can believe what I'm saying now. They lost their parents. It was her and two of her brothers. She ended up living on the street because her brothers were allowing their friends to come in and rape her. And the friends were paying the brothers and not paying her. So she ended up being a prostitute on the street because she, she wanted to make money for herself and not for her brothers. She was rather like, I'd much rather sell my body so that I make money, not that I sell my body so my brothers make money. Because what they would do with the money that they were making is smoke. It's, it's a very complex issue, guys. It's, there's so many cases, that I can give you case file after case file after case file of stuff that would absolutely I don't want people to cry in this room. That's why I'm using the light cases. Yes, believe it or not, the cases I'm discussing are the light one. Unsanitary city, that's, that's a given. So we've got this thing that we have in Marisburg, a recycling situation going on. You get these guys getting crates, and then they put cardboards in crates, and then they drag them across the city from one part of the city to another just to, to recycle it and then make a bit of money so they can smoke. Now, imagine... 130 guys going down the street, trying to collect boxes, trying to collect metal, trying to collect anything that they can sell in order for them to get a bit of money. It, the city doesn't look good. It really doesn't look good. And that place is awful, the municipality. But the solutions that the municipality is trying to impose are never gonna work. This, 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 this line of work that we're talking about here needs something that is called 
soft hearts and hard souls. So you need to know that you can keep forgiving someone and forgiving someone and forgiving someone even when they've disappointed you and hard souls so you can keep walking with them and keep walking with them. I, I've, I've only started being trusted by these guys in the past two, three years. Before then they'd just see me but I'd be that guy with the meal and a good conversation and a bit of a prayer and I'm out, cheers. And then they'd sleep. He's like, oh, he doesn't know our situation. He doesn't understand our situation. But it's only now that they're vulnerable enough with me to tell me stuff that, that we, we both cry about, to be honest. We, we talk about these things and we cry. We talk about the other stuff and we cry. And, and it's all because I've walked the long yards with them. All right. So these are the perceptions that we carry as society. Um, we call them vermin, we call them thieves, vagrants, dirty, they're not our kids. And that, that, that for me is a big one because it feels like we've gotten to a point as a society where we, we don't see them as kids anymore. We don't see them as that child that was celebrated at some stage for being born. We see them, we roll up the window, we see them, we're like, ah, why don't you just go home? Like, for the same reason why you don't go home. But anyway, that's, that's not the point. But people say the most horrendous things to them. I've had a guy, we, I can't make this up, guys. Praise and worship, we pray, oh, Jesus, yes, Lord. And then the guy comes, taps me on the shoulder, and he's like, why don't you just beat them up and tell them to go home? <laughs> Middle of me speaking with these guys, and I'm like, it's, it's 11 o'clock at night, why aren't you home? <laughs> type, type situation. But he's, he's drinking, and then he's going to go home. Um, and they call them dangerous, they call them drug addicts, they call them charity cases. Everybody says it's their fault. And we don't view them as people. These are just some of the perceptions that society carries. Um, this is who they are, really. They truly and honestly, they are kids. They are nieces, they are nephews. If we were to look around this room and have an honest conversation about the people that live in this country, Someone has a nephew, a niece, a, 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 a far-off cousin, whatever the case is, that lives and is a part of this community. But the problem we've now, we've, we've, we find ourselves in, you can't even admit it in public, you can't be like, hey, yeah, that's my cousin. I ran into my cousin doing this work. I had to go sit down with his dad and ask his dad, and his dad was like, hey, if that's the life he chose, I'm like, how can you ask, how can you say that's the life he chose? Like, oh, I've tried so much, I've tried taking them to rehab, I've tried, I'm like, yeah, but why did you give up? You gave birth to him, he's your son. If you throw him away, who's gonna pick him up? And to date, his dad still hasn't picked him up, but that's, I'm fighting that fight. <laughs> um, they contributors to society. Guys, I've just made an example for you now that these guys can generate up to 600,000 rand in a month, and that's just 100 of them. Those people are contributing to society, one way or another. We need to channel their, resist, their resilience, we need to channel their perseverance, we need to channel it into something that can make money in a good way to help them get out of the situations that they're in. Because the solution is with them, I promise you guys. Um, these guys are students, these guys are pupils. The number of guys I've, I've, I've buried that have degrees it's scary. Some guy had a BCom degree in economics and finance, and he passed away because he touched, uh, 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 he touched a, a live wire or something like that, but he was living on the street. He wasn't like working or something, no, no, no. he was on the street. 
And when I asked him where his degree, where his degree was, he was like, no, my granny has it somewhere in some other town or whatever the case is. But the, these guys, they qualified, some of them. Some of them hold uh, certificates in various fields. And these guys are the future. I'll tell you that much. Anybody who can put up with that and survive, channel that person in the right direction. They'll surprise even us. So, I want to play a little game with you guys. I don't have a lot of time. Oh my God. Ah, I really don't. Um, so, real quick, case one, he's male. Uh, his mom, that's how, how he got on the streets. He got kicked out by his mom, 23. He uses one guy, he's depressed. Uh, he was um, molested at eight years. Uh, dead by 26 years of age, that's the conviction that he's getting. Um, drug of choice is Wonga. And then there's a female, and then there's another female. Quickly, reading through all these cases, um, but I'll give you guys like 30 seconds. And then I'll tell you this, you've got one blue pill, and whoever you give this blue pill to, they'll be completely healed of this. Who would you give it to? Quick show of hands. If you'd have, if you'd help case one, put up your hand. If you'd help the guy who got kicked out, choice of drug is Wonga, he's depressed. That's the case you'd help, okay? Case two, the female, uh, detached from reality, raped by brothers, cocaine addict. Who'd help her? Um, case three, uh, that female. Who'd help her? One, two, three, four. All right, cool. <laughs> the reason why I wanted us to do this quickly was people are more likely to help females than males. <laughs> First of all, yeah, that's the truth. Secondly, well, if I had told you that the male was white, or the female was white, or the, or the, third, or the third female was white, it would have changed completely who you would have helped. These are the perceptions that inform society. And that's why we struggle so much to help these guys. Because there's a connotation attached to each. And every. we need to get to a place of remembering that these guys are just kids before they're anything else. Before they're black, they're white, before they're female, before they're male, they are just kids. But it's funny, I, had, I think I had like seven hands for the first female and I had like six for the second one, but there was one hand. <laughs> there was one hand for the man. I should have picked up my hand, it would have been two. I wouldn't. Yeah. to be uh, less like men. Instead of teaching men to be how to be a real man. And being a real man is not what society says. Being, uh, 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 be in touch with your feelings. That's very manly. Be, but it's, it's, yeah, anyway. 
<laughs> I don't have the time, I don't have the time. So, real quick questions and suggestions. What do you guys think we can do to help this community? Or if you have questions. Anything at all. Yeah, so, so um, I just heard yeah, since you started to... Oh, can I just mention That's fine, thanks. Hello, guys. Uh, uh, my name is Simon Bupapi from DM in Gauteng. Mm. Yeah, uh, actually, what I was wanted to know, um, or maybe help you, is that we do have some facilities that can help these young people who are on the street. But the problem of those facilities is that they don't get out of their office and go to the community to say, here is the kind of a job we do. So that's why we are stuck in, not knowing where to go to take this uh, kind of a children or young people on the street to. And the second one maybe that uh, I was wanted to know about is some of those kids who are staying on the street, uh, they are becoming the leaders, uh, leading others to use them to go and do the funny stuff to other communities. And then now, if that kind of uh, child is willing to go back to home, what will happen because he's now used to be a leader. Uh, it's not going to affect those who are in the house mm. when he's back to the house. Mm. That is my question again. Yeah. And, okay, let me throw them here because yeah. they, they are long. All right. Thank then you. maybe we can talk afterwards. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. I don't want to. There's another question. I don't know. Is there yeah. another question? Over there? Thank you. Okay. Can I quickly, because I, my mind works that way. So, um, that's the beauty of rehabilitation and uh, reintegration back into communities. It's not a two-day thing. You bring your bagai home for a weekend. First, you come by yourself, whether you're the childcare worker or whether you're the, ho you, you, you're the social worker. You come into that space, you meet the family, you see if this environment is conducive for the child first, because our interest is always for the child. And then once you see that it's a decent family, the child can come back, then maybe you start organizing monthly talks and then monthly visits. But over time, you reintegrate the child back into the family. And that's how you, you get, because he's used to being a kingpin there and he's used to being, to being the leader there. But then he understands that this is a different environment. But when he makes the connection that this is the environment I want to be in, he'll be willing to compromise himself going into that space. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I think it's a sort of a suggestion on my side, is that we'll find that um, this specific community, uh, people with so much skills, that can contribute to our community. I think how we can maybe assist them is, about, is, is maybe involving them in their healing process because you find that they are good in certain things like for example marketing, if I can put it that way, and also maybe performing arts because they even perform for money. So if we look at those things and improving those things and seeing how can we turn these skills that are using for, for a negative result yeah. and turning them into positive things and involving them and having conversations with them yeah. and saying, what, what can we do to assist you? Yeah. Because if we come from like the top and say, we are going to help you like yeah. this, they will not be willing to, yeah. to, to engage in such, but yeah. if they're involved, because there are people who, are, who have minds, who, have, who had goals yeah. and still can achieve so much. So yeah, Thank you so much for that. Um, there's, funnily enough, we've got two guys now that used to be on the street that are now going to the streets with us to try get get guys out. You've got to include them. They are a part of the solution. They know more about the streets than you do. 
So now, if you assume that you know what's best for them, oof. I've said some pretty rough statements to people at some stage, and they thought I was out of my mind. But I knew what I was talking about because I'd interacted with these guys. They'd be like, oh, we can't leave him here. I was like, he's better off here than going back home right now. He is going to go back home. But you, you've got to know when and how to do things. Because if we do things prematurely or incorrectly at times, it can ruin everything. We're not looking for our perception of success, but we're looking for genuine success in a life. So if, if you have to go, you can take a picture or take the numbers down and then you can move on. But I wanna, I wanna touch on these quickly. Recommendations, uh, these, I'm not imposing these on anyone. These are just recommendations that I've reached and we've reached as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as a life changer uh, in terms of what would help and what could help. So. Employ skilled people to work with this community. You have to have people who know what they're doing working with these guys. There's too many good Samaritans that do more harm than good because they don't know what they're doing. There's guys who enable them. There's guys who, because the intention is, ah, I want to feel good about myself. I gave him a sandwich. Ah, I feel good. I can go back home now. He doesn't need a sandwich. He needs a father. You get what I'm saying? So. We need to employ people who, who, who are highly skilled. We need drug rehabilitation centers. In Marisburg, as currently as things stand, we do not have a single drug rehab center. The only one that I know of is here in Durban. And even then, for the influx of people coming from Marisburg alone, let alone Durban, it's not enough. It really isn't enough. Family reunification, that is such a big thing. The one thing that everybody needs regardless of the shape, form, size, color, is family. And those guys living on the streets, the reason why they, they stick so well to each other is because they are willing to take bullets for each other that people in our community and in our family, families would never take for us. I, I, I've, I've seen it, I've encountered it. They are there for each other because they've gotten to a point of realizing how much family means and what family means to them. Close the taps. What I mean by that is, for child and youth care centers, orphanages, we need to find something to do beyond the cliff. When this child is beyond 18 and now we no longer have the funds to support them, what happens to them there? Because that's, that's one of the taps. That's one of the, the water that's spilling into this community. It's guys coming from these organizations onto this. 80% of the guys I encounter have been in touch with, in some shape, form or size, with the child and youth care center and an orphanage. And when they've lost hope in those organizations, even when you come to them, they're like, hey, listen, I've been there before. Don't tell me about that. Mm. And then it makes it that much harder to gain trust and that much harder to gain, to gain hope and instill hope in them again. Now, okay, increase of wages, I think if you touched on that a bit, I, I really think those people earn too little to do the type of work that they do. Um, we need to locate families, uh, turn, uh, the trades that they engage in to formalized with structured progressive outcomes. The, this, the recycling that they're doing, the, 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 the window wiping, the, all those things, we need to formalize them, make them a better and more, more organized, and then implement them. That's something we really need to consider and we really need to do because that is, those are forms of trade that are, keep, that are helping them survive. Uh, get the community involved. That's very key and very important. We have to have to get no problem, get the community involved. Create a value chain of services that communities can engage in. So like we were speaking in the beginning, where do you go? 
We have to establish and promote those types of things. I want to talk on the focus on strengths at the, just for one minute and then we're done. Uh, focus on strengths right at the end. So strengths, so we use a strengths-based model. Um, strengths is Gallup, there's this Gallup strengths file, I don't know if some of you have heard about, about it or not, but it tells you what your strengths are instead of your weaknesses. And now we've got one guy that we're working with, his, his strengths are uh, deliberative and he's, um, what is it, organizational. But with him, basically he's, he's got discipline as well. He will never let you down. And then when you, when you know the strengths, you start understanding why he'll never let his friend down. You're like, but I, I told you that we were gonna do this, do this today, why didn't you? But because his friend wasn't gonna be there, he couldn't go. But when you know his strengths, you start understanding, oh, that's what I'm dealing with. And when he knows his strengths, he starts focusing on his strengths and not his weaknesses. This is a community that I've been told that they are the scum, the bottom of the barrel. But when you edify them and you tell them about their strengths, it changes the way they view themselves and it teaches us how to view them. So focusing on strengths is a big thing. My strengths are strategic ideation, uh, empathy, includer, uh, connectedness. Those are my five strengths. And I see it because I can't do stuff alone. And that's because of my includer strength. I want to include, I can do it alone. Like today I've clearly done it alone. But I didn't want to. I really didn't want to, because I want, in all things that I do, I want, I'm the type of guy, we could be sitting there, and there could be four of us, if you're sitting in the corner there alone, I will walk over, because I want to include people. And when you understand that about me, you start understanding why I make the decisions I make. And that's why focusing on strengths is so important, because it helps you tailor make or tailor package the solution for that child specifically. <coughs> Guys, I've taken up too much of your time. Thank you so much, though for listening to me. Um, get a hold of us, get a hold of the contact details. Um, thank you so much for listening to this guy. Thank you so much.